0: What a truth it is to know that we have an advocate. Uh, if we, could, we could probably go home right now just on that truth and just say, hey, we have a solid advocate, but we're called to, to preach the word and to be and sit under the word. Uh, we, today we are going to be in 1 Kings uh, chapter 8, verse 46 through 53, but I want to start with a parable, a parable that came from uh, our Lord's mouth. a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And Lazarus said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that, they, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And in, in, in Hades. In the midst of anguish, this rich man asked for two things. He asked for relief, and he asked that a person would be sent to his five brothers to proclaim mercy and repentance so that they, would, they themselves would not end in the place of torment. I wonder what you would ask for if you were there. I, I, we hope to not be there. We hope to not ask these things, but he asked for relief and for a messenger. Uh, Pastor, Puritan Pastor Thomas Watson once remarked, What would the damned give that they might have a herald sent to them from God to proclaim mercy upon their repentance? What floods of tears would their eyes pour forth, but now it's too late. And then he goes on to write, Oh, that we would therefore, while we are on this side of the grave, make our peace with God. Tomorrow will be, might be, our dying day, but today is our repenting day. It is with that in mind that we jump into our text. 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 46 through 53. If they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin. And you, are, and you are angry with them and give them to an enemy, so that they are carried away captive to the land of the enemy, far off or near. Yet if they turn their heart in the land to which they have been carried captive, and repent, and plead with you in the land of their captors, saying, we have sinned and we have acted perversely and wickedly, if they repent with all their mind and with all their heart in the land of their enemies, who carried them captive and pray to you toward their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city that you have chosen, and the house that I have built for your name, then hear in heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their plea, and maintain their cause And forgive your people who have sinned against you and all their transgressions that they have committed against you. And grant them compassion in the sight of those who carried them captive, that they might have compassion on them. For they are your people and your heritage, which you brought out of Egypt from the midst of the iron furnace. Let your eyes be open to the plea of your servant and to the plea of your people Israel, giving ear to them whenever they call to you. For you separated them from among all the peoples of the earth to be your heritage, as you declared through Moses your servant, when you brought out our fathers out of Egypt, O Lord God. This is the word of the Lord. My hope this morning is that we would leave with two things, that we would be convicted of two things. First, that we would be convicted of the biblical disposition of a a repentant sinner. What does a a biblical repentant sinner look like? And then the second thing, that we would leave convicted of the disposition of God as our forgiver. That we would leave convicted of what a repentant sinner looks like, and that we would leave convicted of the disposition of God our forgiver. So we have to begin with sin. We read in verse 46, this is what Solomon, so so right here, I sort of jumped you guys in into this prayer, just to give you a background into this, Solomon, David's son, has just built the temple. Uh, It's taken him years, and then he is in the midst of this prayer. He actually blessed the congregation, turned around, stretched out his arms, knelt down, and this is part of his prayer to God. And in part of his prayer He confesses what we see in verse 46. There is none, no one who does not sin. What a prayer! All of us are sinners. The first thing that we see about a repentant sinner is that he understands that the nature of sin is ingrained in all of us. There is no one who does not sin. Uh, This is what uh, Christians throughout church history have called the doctrine of original sin. Right? So, passages, building on passages like this, among many others, we see that we all have this innate nature to sin. Uh, we see in Genesis 6 5, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thought of his heart was evil continually. Proverbs 20, who can say, I have made my heart pure and I am clean from my sin? Ecclesiastes 7 Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does, not, who does good and never sins. Paul, writing to the Roman church, writes, For all, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we heard a demi pray from 1 John, will we have an advocate? But verses before that, this is what John writes. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. The scripture witnesses to the nature of our sin, it is natural. We are born into it. So the repentant sinner has to understand that in himself, he not only just does bad things, he is bad, he is a sinner. He is totally depraved. Late pastor R.C. Sproul described man's deprivation as such. He says, total depravity means radical corruption. Total depravity means that I and everyone else are depraved or corrupt in the totality of our being. There is no part of us that is left untouched by sin. Our minds, our wills, our bodies are affected by evil. We speak sinful words, do sinful deeds, have impure thoughts. Our very bodies suffer from the ravages of sin. The repentant sinner knows that he is a sinful man. But not only does he know the nature of sin, the repentant sinner also knows that sin is personal. Turn with me to 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 look at some of these verses. Verse forty six. Solomon says, "If they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them and give them to an enemy, so that they are carried away captive to the land, who did they sin against? God. Later on in verse fifty, and forgive your people who have sinned against." You and all their transgressions that they have committed against you. Sin is always personal. Sin isn't an abstract idea, it is relational. Uh, I'm sure we all have, we all know sort of the story of Joseph. I, I think one of, one of, the most faithful moment in the story of Joseph is when Joseph is lured and enticed and trapped in by Potiphar's wife. She is trying to seduce him to fall into sexual sin. And we know that he, uh, he remains strong and he does not fall into temptation. And this is what he tells her. As he's being lured and enticed, he says, he, when talking about Potiphar, he is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. He says, my master has not held anything back from, from me. But, but that isn't actually the reason why he doesn't fall into sin. It's not because his master treated him good. Look at the next clause. It says in Genesis 30, 39, verse nine, it says, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against god joseph doesn't fall into temptation not because his master is good but because his heavenly master is good because he does not want to sin against god david when he is approached by nathan after he has slept with Bathsheba, has killed a man you know how his repentant heart responds I have sinned against the Lord." He just killed a man, slept with a woman, and his response is as he is repentant, I have sinned against the Lord." The repentant sinner knows that sin is against the Almighty God. So he knows that the sin is nat- natural in him, is personal, and lastly, He knows that sin is consequential. Uh, And what I mean by consequential, I I don't mean sort of one moment after another, though actually the book of James tells us that there is a progression, there is an order to sin. When we are lowered and enticed by our own desires, we then fall into sin, and sin brings forth death. But what I mean by consequential here is that it has consequences. So again, let's, let's look and turn Verse 46, if they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them. The first consequence that we see in our passage is that God is angry at the sinner. To sin is to bring the anger of the Lord. He is holy and perfect. He dwells, we're told, in unapproachable light. In him there is no darkness. So like a spouse who is angry at adultery or a victim who is angry at the crime, God is righteously angry at the sin, but not only at the action, he's angry at them is what we read in our passage. So God's anger is one consequence, and then the second consequence of sin is punishment. We're told in our text that the enemies will drive them captive. Uh, uh, um, we're, the youth group is going through Deuteronomy right now as a, as a youth group, and it's been a great book. If, if you have not gone through Deuteronomy, read it through. It is awesome. But, but I tell them that actually sort of the, the, the door to the Old Testament in one way or another sort of hinges on Deuteronomy 28 through 30. Those three chapters are chapters of blessings and curses, If they obey, they will be blessed. If they don't obey, they will be cursed. So if you understand Deuteronomy 28, you sort of understand the rest of the Old Testament because the prophets, all they're hearkening back is calling back to Deuteronomy 28. Hey, if you repent and obey, you will be blessed. If you don't, you will be cursed. The famines, everything will come upon you. So Solomon says, hey, when we sin and we don't repent, the captives will come. The curses will come. The punishment will come. Because the natural consequence of sin is punishment. From the garden, God has laid out that if you sin, you will die. And we try to tell our students that we don't, if we put our hand on the flame, we wouldn't say, What a harsh thing it is that the flame burned me. No, that's the natural consequence of the flame. The natural consequence of the sin is punishment. It is not a harsh thing. It is the just and holy thing. So for us to understand the nature of repentance, we have to understand first the nature of sin. It is both natural, it is innate in us. It is personal, it is against a holy God, and it is consequential. It brings consequences. Once we've established that, then we can look at What repentance is uh, and sometimes uh, re- we can understand things better when we when, when we say what it's not right so we would say hey Edgardo is small because or short because he's not tall right like like putting that contrast would be really helpful or Edgardo doesn't have a lot of hair right so he's bald right you contrast it to the thing that he's not here let's contrast what repentance is by contrasting it to what it is not. There's three things I want to lay out to what repentance is not. Repentance is not a mere sense of guilt. Repentance is not a mere sense of guilt. Guilt is this feeling that you know you've done something wrong and you feel bad about it. But that's not mere repentance. We actually see a great example of someone feeling guilty and not being repentant is Judas. He understands that he had done something wrong. He felt guilt about it. But instead of turning to the one who could forgive him for that sin, he actually takes it into his own hands. He turns back the 30 pieces of silver and, and, and the guilt sort of weighs him down even more to the point that he takes his own life. Guilt is not repentance because what guilt makes you do is it turns you inward to say, how can I fix the problem? The second thing that repentance is not, it is not shame. Repentance is not telling and beating yourself and telling yourself that you are worse or worthless or valueless or you are... Nothing. No, true repentance actually tells you, like we see in the scriptures, no, you are his people. You are his heritage. Come to him because he is in relationship with you. Shame builds you down. It entraps you in your own thoughts. Repentance frees you to turn to him, the one who can build your character, the one who can restore your identity. And the last thing that repentance is not, it is not fear. Sometimes we, uh, there, there are millions of people who can modify their behavior through fear. You tell them, hey, this is what's going to happen. So then they resist that by mere will. And the fear has brought them to change and modify their behavior. But that's not what repentance is. Repentance, fear, fear encloses you in, it entraps you. It, it, it brings a fear of, of man, a fear of reputation, a fear of consequences. And so you, you feel trapped. But actually true repentance frees you. It, 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 it's, it's here in the in the in the passage. They were captive. But if they turn to the Lord and seek repentance, they will be free. Because the f- truth sets us free. It liberates us. I'm not saying it's easy to repent, but it, 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 it lifts up the, the burden that's on us. So repentance isn't guilt. It isn't mere shame. It isn't repentance. It, it isn't fear. So, so then what is it? I'm going to give you four truths about what repentance is based on our passage. The, the first thing that repentance is, is it's convictional. Repentance is convictional. We have to be convicted of our sin, the depths of our sin. Right? We see it. If they, if they turn, verse 47, if they turn their heart in the land to which you have been, you have carried them. Verse 48, if they repent with all their mind and with all their heart. Verse 49, then hear in heaven, your dwelling place, their prayer and their plea and maintain their cause. Repentance starts with a conviction of sin. It's to, it's to turn our hearts, our minds, because we've been convicted of what we've done. But, I think when I was going through this is, is the question of how. How can man be convicted, right? I just I told you guys at the beginning that man is dead in their trespass. They are, they, they are totally depraved. There's nothing good in them that they can do outside of Christ. Then how does a sinful man respond and be convicted? It would be like asking someone without smell to smell something and tell me what it is. Well, we are convicted from an outside force. We are convicted from an outside being. We are convicted by the Holy Spirit. This is is one of the works that we're told in the Gospel of John, that the, the Spirit does. Jesus, before departing and leaving his disciples, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I did not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Our conviction of sin doesn't come from within, it comes from without. It comes by God's sheer mercy and grace to convict us and open our eyes and say, you have committed sin. It is a a work of grace to be convicted of sin. So repentance is convictional and it's also confessional. Verse 47, the people that cry out to God and they pray, "We have sinned, we have sinned and acted perversely." There is confession. They go before the Lord and they acknowledge that they have done wrong. And they done wrong, not because they did a, a, a wrong action, like we said. It's they they sin against God. The, the, and it's, it's, it's important for us to see that sin, we said, is personal. Repentance has to do with confession. All of these are tied because if you see, as we ask for forgiveness, it can only come from the person that we wronged. So, if we've wronged God, He is the only one that can forgive us. There's no one else outside of God that can forgive us for the wrongs that we did. It would be as if someone slapped me and someone else forgave them for slapping me. That would be silly. It would, the, the forgiveness would have to come from the person that was wronged. So, we confess, we go to the Lord. This is what the gospel message is. It sort of it turns what the world does. Because the world wants to tell you, hey, you did something wrong, so go hide. But the gospel says, you did something wrong, come to me. The one who you did the wrong thing to, and I will forgive you. Don't go hide. I will forgive you. First John chapter one verse nine says, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't know, I don't know the sin that you came in with that you are struggling this morning. I don't know if it's gossip, I don't know if it's hatred. I don't know if it's sexual immorality or, or anger or drunkenness. But what I do know is that the Lord begs you to come and confess. Because he is faithful and just to forgive you. I, I want to say a couple of things about confession. Confession is before the Lord. We do go before the Lord and we confess But the book of James also tells us that we confess to one another. Uh, I I think uh, I've been shaped by Jesus' ministry where he has the crowds, he has the twelve, and then he has the three. I I think that that's how our lives should look like. We should understand that we are standing in the crowd full of witnesses with a, a whole bunch of believers behind us. Then, we, then we, have, we get closer here to a body, a local body that you are connected with. And then it sort of zooms in into a community group. So I was walking by back there and looking at the signs, and you guys have, if I can see rightly, I'm getting a little older, five community groups that are going on. And from there, you build relationships with. And you should be in relationships to such a point that you're able to confess your sins with someone. I'm not saying with the crowds. I'm not saying maybe the whole church. What I am saying is you need two or three people to do this. Christianity is a a faith built on relationship. It is not an isolated faith. We see this with Jesus. If there was anyone who could do it by himself, it would be him and he chose his 12, and he chose his three to come before him as he prayed at the Garden of Gethsemane, as he went to the Mount of Transfiguration, he always had the three with him. Who do you have? No matter what age, no matter how old, no matter where you are, whether you walk the mountaintop of Christianity, and you've been there 40 years, you need someone to walk alongside you and to confess your sins with because if not, it will, it will hold you tight and it will weigh on you and it won't let go of you. You need to confess before the Lord but you also need to confess to one another. So I want to encourage you to go find a, one or two who can be those people who will pray with you, who will sometimes just sit there. I was, I was going through Job and you know how we sometimes get into Job, and the Job's friends have really bad responses. That's, let's just get off the bat, right? Like, but before they get, but when they get there, you know what their first response was? To just sit in silence. We, I think we need friends like that, who just sit in silence with us sometimes. Who, who when, when we are hurting, we'll just sit there and listen. When we have sinned, we'll just sit there and listen and we'll take their time and then afterwards we'll speak truth into our lives. They will bring up the word and say, Edgardo, remember that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Edgardo, remember that if you go to the Lord and confess, he is faithful and just to forgive you. Edgardo, remember that Jesus' blood was spilled for your forgiveness who would speak truth In their lives so find those people and if someone comes to you on the flip side and comes and confesses to you your job is to love them your job is not to shame them your job is not to bring them down but your job is to love them now love does carry truth so sometimes you're gonna have to pull someone and say hey Like, you keep repenting, but this isn't real repentance because repentance brings transformation. What you feel is guilt and shame and fear, and you need to have a godly repentance in you. So, hey, let's sit down and pray about it. But it's not to bring them down or to shame them. It is to love them. This is what the body of Christ looks like. (sighs) Sorry. (laughs) So, repentance... True repentance is confessional. And it's also, I made up this word. If you go to the dictionary, it's not there. But I'm trying to keep the track of all the ALs ending, you know. It's also contritional. It's not a word. I know. I made it up. What I mean by contrition is that it brings a godly sorrow. Sorrow. Godly repentance grieves not only the consequences, but the mere nature of sin. I love what Martin Luther, the reformer, said when he reflects about repentance. He writes Repentance which is occupied with thoughts of peace, repentance which is occupied with thoughts of peace is hypocrisy. There must be a great earnestness about it and a deep hurt if the old man is to be put off. When lightning strikes a tree or a man, it does two things at once. It renders the tree and it swiftly slays the man. Oh, how I pray that lightning of conviction would slay us and render us to the point of godly sorrow. The psalmist would write, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. True repentance brings a godly sorrow that grieves. That grieves the sin. I just want to quickly, if we can turn and see in verse 47. This is the cry of the repentant sinner. At the end of 47, he says, We have sinned and have acted perversely and wickedly. Do you see? They they say we have sinned. They they acknowledge that they have done wrong. But then they go farther than that. They say it was perversely and wickedly that they sinned. They don't just say, I I stole the fruit. They said that the fruit I stole was perversion. Perversion. It was wicked. It was against you. They are sorrowful. They're grieved, not only by the action, but by the, the nature of the sin. It's perverseness and wickedness. I wonder if that's how our prayers are when we repent. Not only, Lord, forgive me for the bad thing I did, which we should go before the Lord and do so, but Lord, forgive me because the bad thing I did reveals my very own nature. I am wicked, I am perverse, and I need you to forgive me for that. I need you to root not only the fruit of the sin, but the root itself of the tree. Church, may, may our prayers be like the prayers here. May we confess, may we be contritional, and lastly, may we be, may, may a true repentant sinner is true lives a life of transformation right verse 48 if they repent with all their heart and with all their soul it's it's a, it's a whole being godly repentance moves from the inward action and inward affection to the outward demonstration godly repentance moves from the inward affection to the outward demonstration And this is just how Christianity works. It always works from the inside out. Baptism. We do baptism, the outward action, because of what has inwardly happened to us. We confess that inwardly we have died to self and are born in Christ, and now we do that demonstration outwardly to confess that to everyone else. Praise. When we sing songs of praise is because our hearts are filled with praise. What comes out of our mouth is what's in our heart. When we forgive, we forgive others. The demonstration is there because we know that we have first been forgiven. When we love, we love because we have first been loved. So a repentant sinner transforms his life from the inside out. One of the greatest lessons I learned in this past year, you know, sometimes they ask you, like, hey, like, how was, your, how was your last year? What did you learn? And it was, I had, a, I, had a, I had a short-sighted view of what sanctification looked like. One of the greatest lessons I learned this past year was what does sanctification look like? What does it look like to grow into the image of Christ? Uh, I, I, I had sanctification sort of halfway there. I thought sanctification was just hey don't do the bad things. Try to try to try to run and flee and resist the bad things. But that's only half of what sanctification is. Sanctification is then calls you to go put on the new self. To to resist and to put on, to kill the old and to put on That's what sanctification looks like. That's what a repentant, transformed sinner looks like. He puts on and kills the old self and he walks by the Spirit. He grows into the image of Christ not only by rejecting the bad, but by also doing the good. By walking in obedience. The repentant man is being transformed into the image of Christ from one degree of glory to another, moment by moment, little by little, as he, in God's grace, is being transformed. So we talked about the nature of sin, the the nature of repentance. I want to end by focusing our time on the disposition of the forgiver. The disposition of the giver. It is in the Giver that we're actually assured our forgiveness. Turn with me, if you can, to verse forty-nine. It says, then hear in heaven your dwelling place their prayer and their plea, and maintain their cause. And then jump down to verse forty-fifty-two. Sorry. It says, let your eyes be open to the plea of your servant and to the plea of your people. Israel, giving ear to them whenever they call to you. God's disposition is to be attentive. He hears the plea of his people. He sees their their, their cry. God is not a God made of wood or metal who have ears but cannot hear and eyes that cannot see. God is a living God who sees you and hears you when you cry out to him. He is attentive. He is there. He is there for his people, his heritage. He loves them. I don't know. I don't know if this is how you view God if you view him as the one who we we can say we've acted wickedly and perversely and then he also hears and listens to us what a mighty and loving god that is that he is attentive to us pastor dan ortland wrote a, a, a book called gentle and lowly it came out a couple of years ago now and he writes this about the disposition of jesus our He says, Jesus' joy increases to the degree that the sick come to him for help and healing. It is the whole reason he came. Christ does not get flustered or frustrated when we come to him for fresh forgiveness, for renewed pardon with distress and need and emptiness. That's the whole point. It is what he came to heal. He went down into horror of death and plunged out through the other side in order to provide a limitless supply of mercy and grace to his people. This is a good God. He does not turn his back on those who repent. He stands at the ready to forgive. He stands at the ready for you to come and to cry out and plead to him. Church, whatever the sin is, he stands at the ready. Whether, Whether you think you've committed the most heinous, wickedly, or perverse sin, he stands at the ready to forgive. Oh, I want to end by reading you Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. It reads, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. While we can confess and aim to be a repentant sinner that is wholly done by the grace and the work of the Holy Spirit, and we know that there is an attentive attentive Father who stands here at the ready, all of this is rooted in the blood of Christ, who spilled his blood so that the forgiveness of our sins may be granted to us. The blood of the one to whom we sinned against was spilled for you and me so that we would be forgiven of it. The ones, we, who cried out, crucify, crucified, was crucified for the calls that we were giving for him to be crucified. It's only in the blood of Christ that we can find forgiveness. It's only in Jesus that we can find the forgiveness that God is so willing to give. Our call, the cost was, the cost was his blood. Our cost is to turn to him. The cost was of forgiveness was his life. Our cost of repentance is to die to self and live in him. The call for this morning is that for today, that it would be the day of your repentance. You might be here and you have been a follower of Jesus longer than maybe I have been alive. But the call of repentance is a call of repentance that goes on continually continually. We die to self and we live in Christ, knowing that he is a good God who listens and sees. So we continually repent because he is faithful and just to forgive us. And maybe you're here and you don't know about this Jesus. You don't know that there is forgiveness freely offered to you. Well, I want to tell you that from 1 Kings to the rest of the Bible, we are told that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and was raised from the grave, there's forgiveness. There's forgiveness for your sins so that we, so that we, unlike the rich man, are Lazarus are carried off by the angels and are sitting not next to Abraham, but next to Jesus at the end of days. Let us pray. Hmm. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would give us a a depth of our sins that we would see that sin is a natural, it is innate for us by our nature. That, that it, is, it, it's, it grounds us and it roots us, Lord. May we see how, how deep sin runs in us. Lord, I pray that we would see that sin is personal, that it is against a holy God to whom we sin against. Lord, give us eyes to see these truths. Lord, that sin brings consequences, both anger from you and a just punishment. So, Lord, let us rightly repent of our sins. Whatever they may be, however big or small, give us a a heart of conviction, a heart of confession. Lord, give us a, a contrite heart that turns our lives around by the power of the Spirit so that we walk in obedience to you. Lord, and let us do this by your grace and mercy because you are a God who stands ready to hear and see us. You are not a God far removed, but a God near and close to us who forgives us and grants us forgiveness by the blood of your Son. Oh Lord Jesus, teach us Grow us in our repentance day by day, moment by moment, for your honor and your glory. It's in your name I pray, Jesus.